Greetings and welcome back to episode number 38 of the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Today you're going to hear from a good friend of mine, artist, painter, muralist, gallery owner, Stephanie Bales of Stephanie Bales Fine Art. That's Stephanie with an F in case you're looking for her on social. We talk about artist stereotypes as well as her whole journey with entrepreneurship being a painter and some of the things that she deals with in her day-to-day flow as well as how to stay creative and create original ideas, uh, how to market yourself as an artist. We get into some really juicy topics here, but definitely make sure you go check out her paintings at Stephanie Bales Fine Art. That's Stephanie with an F. And enjoy the episode. Kiss my aesthetic. Branding, marketing, entrepreneurship. You're listening to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I am your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co., where we build bragworthy brands for social media-minded entrepreneurs, and you are in the right spot for branding, marketing, entrepreneurship advice that you can apply in your own business to better reach your ideal client online. Let's get to today's episode. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Today, I have Stephanie Bales of Stephanie Bales Fine Art, the first fine artist I've had on the podcast. How is that possible? But couldn't think of a better person to do it. So, Stephanie, welcome. Thank you. Tell the people who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a fine artist. A painter is my primary medium. I own a boutique gallery in uh, downtown San Diego, uh, where it's basically just my own work. And then I I'm a muralist as well, so I do a lot of murals around Southern California and hopefully expanding out of out of my uh, little bubble as well soon. Uh, but yeah, I do any any form of painting, all mediums, um, all substrates, like anything anyone wants to hire me to do, I just love. So yeah. Perfect. And you've been a painter for a long time. The first question we kicked off on the Instagram portion of this interview was, uh, how long have you been an artist? And did you know you always wanted to be an artist? And your answer was very similar to mine in that I don't think I knew I wanted to be a designer, but I was always creative and always finding ways to be creative. And if I was could like flash back to my eight-year-old self walking through the craft aisle at Costco or Michael's, I would go berserk because like that's where I wanted to be all the time. So tell us a little bit about like your artistic upbringing, I guess you could say, and um, how that kind of led to where you are now. Yeah. Well, um, as you just said, I kind of, uh, you know, when you're an artist, you're born an artist. Like it's people always ask like, when, when did you become one? It's like, well, you are one that's, you know, being a a professional artist is a choice, but like being an artist, you're born an artist. So it's just always been what I've done before I even knew what it was really. Uh, and one thing I really attribute to my success in terms of where I am now is actually that I had a lot of support from my parents who are not artists, but just always really appreciated and recognized, I guess, the talent that I had and the innate like art- artistic sensibility that I had when I was really young. And so, um, you know, I, I took all the classes. I did, a- I did the AP art in high school. Um, and they were actually the ones who encouraged me to just pursue art in college because it just seemed so impractical and was really at the time too. Um, but you know, they're, they're kind of being like, it's okay, you can do this. And like having someone kind of push me and say that that is something that is okay to pursue was really beneficial, I think for the grand scope of things and where I am now. So 
Absolutely. And then you have this whole lifespan from, from beyond graduating college, you go on to teach. And then after teaching, you open a gallery. Like you've done some pretty remarkable stuff really with your own work. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Well, yeah. So after like, I went to school back East, so I graduated back East and then moved out here immediately. Basically I feel like I did find my, my true self in California. But so I worked when I first moved out here for an art deco company, actually doing like fine art um, in high end interiors, basically. Um, and then I did that for about a year and I went back to school again, still being like, what am I going to do for the long term? Because I knew it wasn't that. And um, I ended up going back to school to get my master's in education. I assumed I would teach, um, which is kind of par for the course when you're an artist and you're like, what am I going to do? But that was always something innate in me as well. Um, and I ended up, ha- you know, I guess in the first year switching from getting a master's in education to getting my master's in educational counseling. So I was really interested in the psychology of students more so than like just the concept of like teaching to a classroom. Um, And I also thought that like, how could I combine this like love of, you know, of the human brain and of of like human development and of, of teaching and my love of art. And so I was, considering pursuing a degree in art or a, um, a career in art therapy, actually. Uh, so that's kind of where I, I started when I was like, how am I going to use my art and like my degree um, in any kind of professional way? So I ended up graduate and I, I wrote my thesis, sorry, on art therapy uh, with kids, with kids on the autism spectrum. So I kind of worked with elementary students uh, who are on the spectrum and kind of facilitated different art practices with them and, you know, really thought that I was going to maybe go in that direction. But while I was um, finishing up my last class in grad school, I got a job teaching at a local design college, just like a figure drawing class, like one off class. And that ended up turning into a decade long professorship where I taught numerous classes there um, and ended up, you know, back at teaching the classroom versus working with uh, these students in that way. But that kind of, you know, that 10 year span when I was at um, the college, that's when I really kind of worked on behind the scenes, developing my brand, um, putting my work out there. I got picked up by a couple galleries and I just like really kind of took the slow road to building my career and my brand and my, you know, creating a name for my work basically. So then once I felt like I was at a place where that was substantial enough to really give it a go, I put in my notice at the teaching career or at the, the school and a month later, the opportunity for opening up my gallery came about. So basically kind of made space for this other thing that was supposed to happen. And it was very exciting and seamless. And I didn't sleep for like weeks <laughs> waiting for, <Yeah. laughs> for it all to come to fruition. I was like, this can't be happening. This is, you know. Um, so yeah, so now I've had the gallery for about two and a half years. I, you know, that's the, the home base of my business, I say. And then I do a lot outside of the gallery as well in terms of my commission work and the murals and all of that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, now I'm just kind of trying to maintain this multifaceted creative business and still take time to to play creatively, which... Yeah, and be a mom and run a business yeah. <laughs> and do marketing and have a website and social. And it's yeah. a lot to take on. And especially the work that you're doing, it's hours and hours and hours of painting sometimes. And I know that because you've been telling that kind of to myself and to Angela behind the scenes, it's like, right. man, I just can't wait to get my hands dirty and my brushes and like be in a studio and like just focus on what I've got to get out of my brain and like make materialize. Uh, but we talked a lot about how your work kind of defies more 
stereotypes of artists and there's two very strong artist stereotypes. There's the starving artist stereotype and then there's the tortured artist stereotype. And as myself, as a fine arts major, I didn't find myself wanting to be either of those. I was like, I'd like to make a lot of money and like not struggle to like live paycheck to paycheck or commission to commission or whatever. And I wasn't a painter or drawer or whatever. I was doing more video work and sculpture work. But I love the idea of like hosting gallery nights or or selling my work online, whereas that was kind of a faux pas in the art department or it was perceived as a, like you were being a sellout. Right. And then there's also the tortured artist that is um, like working through their emotional trauma of their life and like materializing it to out of full expression, which also felt like if you were going to sell that for multiple thousands of dollars, that's a sellout because you're you're monetizing your own struggle. It just was like there's all these weird hangups in the fine arts community. So how do you kind of approach both the starving artist stereotype and the tortured artist stereotype? Because I don't feel that you fall into either of those categories either. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, really, and we talked about this earlier as well, you know, the starving artist stereotype exists for a reason. I mean, stereotypes exist for a reason. One is that there's just a lack of consumer education about what goes into art. Um, it's a product and a service. There's material costs, there's design work, and then there's the actual physical thing you produce. So like, I think just in terms of what people are willing to pay and or perceive art as being worth um, reinforces this kind of like it devalues the work that we're doing I think it makes us as artists uncomfortable about charging what we should because people's reaction are typically like whoa like that's not what I expected this to cost or that's not what I perceive that value as being but on the other and like no one sets up artists for any sense of any any form of actual tangible like roadmap to success like there's no manual on how to be a professional artist you can be an artist and have an art practice um but there's there's no education that at least when i was in school that i was given on how to run a business on how to market my work on how to sell my work on how to price it on how to find customers, on how to get into galleries, like there's nothing. So everything is just kind of trial and error. Um, it takes a lot of patience, um, a lot of time. And really, you just have to be fully dedicated to it and like really care enough uh, about it to just, you know, figure it out, I guess. So yeah, and that's, I think, an entrepreneurship struggle kind of across the board is like you have your thing that you're good at. And so when you have something that you're not as good at or you're not as experienced or you don't just straight up don't know, then it's either like that's going to take a boatload of time, energy, effort and mistakes probably, or it's going to cost a decent amount of money. It's like hiring the right kind of yeah. people or getting an agent or finding a, a VA even or somebody that can help offload some of the work that you, you can't be answering emails and also working on an entire commission piece. It's like one or the other, right? So how do you kind of separate that out in your own effort? Well, that's where we all find ourselves. Yeah. And how do you, how do you personally, like as an artist, like decide, okay, now's creation time versus now's business time. Does it come and go in seasons or is it days of the week? Like, how do you? I wish I could say I had a more like structured streamlined process to that or to answer to that. Um, Honestly, right now, I find myself just working to deadline. So like, what is due? Do I have to respond to this client email? Or like, is this commission? Did I promise this commission painting is going to be due by Sunday? Like, I really like, what is the most pressing thing? That's always what I'm doing, which is not ideal. 
And it's something I've been like struggling to like dig my way out of for over a year. COVID did not help. (laughs) But, you know, that is the daily struggle. And then if you can't spend time producing work to then sell, to make money, you can't fund outsourcing the other tasks. So it's like this vicious cycle that never ends. So I would say typically it kind of goes in waves where I have like a month or two of just like creative space. And I just really focus on that. And then I don't probably paint for two or three months and I just have to like work on the business. So that's never ideal, but um, yeah, I mean, and. But they're symbiotic, right? Like one, one feeds into the next, like they can't live without each other because without running a business, then you don't get commissions and without painting, you don't get new business. So it's like, which one do you prioritize? It is, it is part of the struggle, but you've got a lot going on as well between the gallery and the murals and the paintings, but we didn't get a chance on Instagram to get into some of your creative inspiration. And as an art history major as well, we can nerd out on this stuff. So your work, as we talked about, is very like, it's beautiful and it celebrates beauty and you want to make people feel happy and inspired and and at peace. And there's like a sense of calm to your work that I think is really beautiful. So what are your largest inspirations on the creative side? So, I mean, I am one of those people who's just like an inspiration overload all the time. Like I just like love, I mean, I'm just very into aesthetics. So like anything that I can see, you know, in my purview, walking down the street, like I just find inspiration and joy in everything. And I translate that back into my work. In terms of like tangibles, color is like the motivator in much of what I do. And I I tend to paint a lot of um, sunsets, because I love to paint light because that creates just this like this gorgeous color, basically. So I'm painting light in the sky, because it creates the most beautiful soft that that color that I'm inspired by and then that palette specifically that I kind of adopted or am known for um, my brand is most known for um, is really derived from the impressionists so um, 19th century French artists primarily Um, I just absolutely love everything about that era of art history except for that there were very few prominent women artists at the time but (laughs) that's not uncommon even now so yeah, that, that the kind of warm pastel, like very light filled color palette uh, and subject matter is just something that really resonates with me. Um, and even as an, you know, an amateur artist, like before I was even in school, um, it was just I, Degas, you know, ballet dancers and Monet's lilies and things that are pretty well known, but it, they always just spoke to me in a way that I couldn't describe to you then. Yeah. I kind of really understand now. So yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of things. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think that when you can pull from, I'm really interested in doing this on the brand side, of course, like anytime I can pull a reference from art history, I feel like then you get to play with so much more depth and meaning than just kind of doing whatever's trendy. And a lot of people don't understand that trends are just a recycle, a mishmash of ideas that have already existed. It's not new. Right. It's just like remixed and it's presented in a different way. And so I love to kind of pull that forward. And I think um, what we're talking about right now is I have two or three brands that are really, we're pulling some like antiquity references, mm. like ancient Greece, ancient Rome, and kind of this um, muse stereotype, which I know you have in your work as well of really celebrating the female form, but not from the male gaze, from more of the female, like celebrating the female. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that because most of your work actually is, if you do have figurative subjects, they are female predominantly. 
Hey, we're going to get back to the episode in just a second, but I had to come in and tell you that there is an Instagram training ready for you on my website. It's 30 minutes long. It's a video, but I'll tell you exactly how to optimize your account to get the most reach, optimize your content so that you're actually reaching your ideal client avatar and create posts that people actually want to engage with. If this is of interest to you, it is linked in the show notes, or you can head over to my website and search kiss my Insta mkwcreative.co kiss my insta is what you're looking for and enjoy the rest of the episode i don't think i've ever painted a man honestly really okay i don't i mean i think i had one commission back in college that i did but i don't think so otherwise you know my, well i think all of what i'm drawn to aesthetically tends towards feminine um, so even when I'm doing a landscape, it's denoted as feminine because of the palette, because of the kind of softness it has. And I just think, you know, I have such a feminine perspective that has then just really come forth. Even I didn't realize it was so strong until it started coming out in all of my work. And so I, yeah, I don't often paint or haven't historically painted a whole lot of figures, but I'm doing a whole series right now, which is basically in celebration of like a diverse group of, of women. And it's just something that I, I think I'm really inspired by right now, um, partly yeah. because of a lot of the collaborative work that I'm kind of got my hands in and uh, just the nature of, you know, my work is not political. It's typically not, you know, social, like it's, I don't have any kind of alternate agenda. Um, but I think just with current, the current state of things, it's just been such a point in conversation that just wanting to like really pursue and like push that kind of feminine perspective even further. Um, yeah. It's just translated into me like literally painting women now. So painting women. Yeah. It's really interesting because I think it, you're, then your work too, like there's a space for it to exist as a breath of fresh air. And I think I was always interested in work in college that like wasn't trying to push a narrative on someone. Exactly. It was more of a, whatever you interpret from this piece, like, that's completely valid. Like art is totally subjective. And I felt that a lot of the like the uppityness or the the pretentiousness of the art community was if you didn't understand what the artist was trying to say in the piece that you somehow missed the point. Yeah. And I think that that's such an unfortunate position to be in because I think there's a lot of people that want to appreciate art, but they also haven't been taught how. Because they were told like, oh, well, you just don't get it. You don't understand that this dagger means this. And because of that, and because the artist's last collection was this, now it means that. Like, that's frustrating. Yeah. Well, 100%. And kind of to that point, though, I I used to always start out my design theory class that I taught with the conversation about like, what, what is the definition of art? And like, what is the definition of design? And where do they cross over? And where do they meet? It's all about aesthetics and creative self-expression, right? But like art, the definition and the difference between art and design is that art is meant to be interpreted. Design is meant to be understood. So like, if you are telling someone too strong of a narrative, in my opinion, personally, like, it takes away from the beauty of what art is meant to be. And it's supposed to be something deeply personal to the artist and interpreted as anyone else would want to for what it means to them. So like, it means something to me, but I don't, it doesn't matter to me whether you see that or not, because that wasn't, I didn't make it for you really, you know, I made it right. for me. So I don't know if that like directly answers that question, but like, yeah, no, you know, I think, 
It's so true though, because you think of like Rothko or Pollock, right? Where everyone wants to read into like, they want to go full Freud on these like giant swashes of color or this huge like spilled paint painting. But the, if you listen to actually the artist, they're just like, yeah, no, it was, it's more actually about the process and it's about right. the layering and, the and that like the, the accident of dropping the cigarette butt into the Jackson Pollock, like he didn't do that as a social commentary on consumerism, but like somehow some uppity like art historian was like, this is a commentary on consumerism. You're like, come on. Like, can it just be this happy accident that a cigarette butt ended up in the painting? Um, it is really interesting. Yeah, I think the fine art world historically and kind of in the like that kind of uppity contemporary art world as well in the like major city centers, urban centers. Yeah. They want, they want to, there needs to be something like severe. There needs to be something like very strong, whether that's, you know, like the physicality of it, like being shocking or kind of the opposite of beautiful. Yeah. And then just there's, if it doesn't mean something um, outright, there's, I guess, less of a conversation that like the critics or, the, you know, the people can have around it, um, or so they, they think. I just think it's really limiting, personally, and it it's not what I like about art at all. Um, so each their own, I suppose. But yeah, I, I think there's so much to be gained without a direct narrative, without having to, like you talk about, like to reveal torture or to show torture or to make it something that it's not just let it live in the space it's meant to live in and appreciate it for what it is and sometimes the beauty of the art is just like posing the question or setting the scene and like let somebody else take that down whatever road they want and i talk about this this was my senior thesis show in college was i kind of set up an interactive installation that was essentially a feedback loop and it was kind of this whole theory of like if the tree falls in the forest and no one hears it did it really make a sound is like if the piece doesn't have people interacting with it does it even exist Right. Like, does the yeah. if the piece isn't being seen or isn't being understood or talked about, like, or even just appreciated, does it matter? Like, is it really about the physical aspect of the piece? And I really pissed off the painting professor. <laughs> he really did not like that answer at yeah. all because he said, you know, your paper, you talk about this intersection of media and technology and how we relate with our own image and and how where we see ourselves in the context of art. And then I come in your show and there's nothing here right. because I didn't have like a physical painting hanging on the wall. And it was kind of one of those moments where I'm like, man, like you really missed the point. Like you really right. missed the yeah. point. It's so interesting because, I, but again, like his experience, my response to him was like, well, if that's your experience, who am I to tell you that you're wrong? Right. Like if you walked into the show and you feel like there's nothing here for you, then you're absolutely right. Yeah. Cool. Like <laughs> we can go about our day. And what you brought up is that design is completely different. Design and especially brand design is we're trying to reach a certain person and communicate a certain message. And we yeah. want them to buy or subscribe or, you know, become part of this community. Like there is a very pointed, I call it like creative problem solving. Yeah, that's exactly. And with me, with more of a business brain background, I love that because that's like a juicy challenge, right? It's like, I need to sell this like luxury shapewear at a $300 price point. It's like, Ooh, okay. Then we need to go this way with it. And how do we make it look like that? Right. So I think that's a really clever distinction about being like it needs to be interpreted versus being the word you said was appreciated or. No. Yeah. Art should be art should be interpreted. Design should be interpreted. Design should be understood. I really like that. I'm going to steal that from you. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, We have a few other questions here. I just want to make sure that we get to which are specifically 
something that you wish people told you about being an artist, which I guess we did kind of cover at the beginning. There's not really any school for this. There's no blueprint. Everybody's got their own path. Um, but we talked about creativity and especially like imposter syndrome on the Instagram portion, which I'd love to kind of touch on again here because I think it's an important reminder for anybody in a creative field to know that like you can't be gunning at a hundred percent creativity all the time. Right. So how do you kind of tackle this within your own business, within your own practice? And when do you feel that it materializes the most or when do you give yourself grace in that like down period? Imposter syndrome, you mean? Yeah. Imposter syndrome or just creativity in general, how you approach your creativity. Um, I mean, it's just, yeah, being a creative is like, I mean, in any field, it's just, there's like a constant word, right? Of like all the things that you're seeing and wanting to do and like envisioning and like wanting to make physically. And, you know, there's the inspiration, there's the people part, there's the solo part. It's just so multifaceted. And I think that that is the greatest challenge is that there's so many components and you need to like make the art to sell the art to make the art. It's like this never ending cycle as we discussed. So, you know, for me, I feel like I don't struggle too much with imposter syndrome. I think occasionally I have to step back and be like the people that I'm watching who are doing X or who are better at marketing or, you know, whatever. We all have different skill sets and we all have different strengths. And I think that's the beauty of being an artist is that you really should just push and pursue what you're good at. I, this, this probably isn't even in line with it, the question, but like integrity to me as an artist is like one of my primary tenets. Like I cannot stand when I see someone pushing an agenda that you know is not true to them, pushing work that is just for someone else and isn't like important or meaningful to them. Like I, that is such an important part of me and my business and my brand and everything that I'm doing that always comes first. I'm like, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? Where is my time valuable? And then with all the other people who are maybe doing one thing better than I am, or all the things better than I am, you know, I always remind myself, like, I have two children. First of all, I don't have full time help. I have very little occasional help. I'm trying to navigate the business and the making and motherhood and, you know, all of the other things in life, going to the dentist <laughs> in this like tiny little, you know, couple hours that I have every day. And it's just a constant reminder that like, that's just where I live right now. And that's likely going to be where I'm going to live always because there's just always things that I want to be doing and creating and traveling for inspiration. And, you know, it's just, it's just this constant, um, influx of possibility. I think artists are great at, at, at noticing possibility. Things that are necessary and then things that are possible. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And that even that idea of possibility is overwhelming. And seeing opportunities. Yeah. Totally. It can be absolutely crippling. And I have this all the time. And I'm, that's why I'm so thankful to be friends with other creatives and other entrepreneurs and even in my family too, to like bounce ideas off of because I think that it takes a certain creative brain to like see the potential in something like that is also the gift, right? Like you see something yes. I'm inspired by the way that the light is coming in through the window and hitting my glass of water. Like, right. Oh my God, I need to make a painting of that right here, right now. It's like, yes. Right. How do you, how do you put that in a box to come back to it? And when you do come back to it, maybe you feel completely differently about it. Yeah. And, or there were 14 other things that have happened since that, that you're also trying to put in this box to come back to later. So uh -huh. Yeah, it's like the most beautiful space to live in. But yeah, that, that kind of the weight of possibility is also a really real thing. And it's something that I struggle a lot with. Yeah, I was actually 
I was watching the Billie Eilish documentary and Phineas, who's her brother, who's the producer and the musician on a lot of her songs, said that their song Bad Guy actually started, they were standing at a crosswalk in Australia and the crosswalk noise made this like ticka, 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 when you cross the thing. And they recorded it. And then that's the bass track that they built the song from. So cool. And then they like showed it. It was Jimmy Fallon or something where they like played the sound of the audio crosswalk and then they played the song. And I'm like, but that stuff happens all the time. Like you're walking, you're traveling and you see a cafe and their menu happens to have this kind of graphic on it. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, store that in the filing cabinet. Going to come back to that idea. Like I love how that's pulled together. I don't know where or how I'm going to use it. And that also relates to how it's so difficult to price creative work. Oh my gosh. Because who knows that the thing that I saw two years ago in Portugal is going to be relevant to my project next month. Like, how do you possibly pull that into your pricing structure? Um, It must be the same for you with painting. Yeah. I mean, pricing is like just one of the the biggest like challenges, hurdles, all the things. Um, One, because as we talked about, like lack of consumer education, but also just like, yeah, how how is there? How are you putting a price tag on any of this? Like, I'm making this thing with my hands, and it's like literally, I call all of my work like they're all. Each one of them are my babies. I'm like they're so deeply personal, and I am just so in in love, literally, with these things that I'm making. Like, how do I put a price tag on that? That is like an abstract conversation. That's just there's no answer to that. But there's also just yeah, there's no structure for it. I mean, really, it's the same as with branding, like the more in demand you are, the more renowned your brand is, like the more you charge. So I could sell the exact same painting today that I painted six years ago, and I'm going to charge a heck of a lot more for it now than when I painted it, because it's valued more now, because my work is well, valued and especially more now. So, with artists and famous artists, a lot of artists are poor their whole lives and then they die and all of a sudden their work is worth way more. That is the plight of the artist. There's like, there's a huge within the artist community. There's a couple of different kind of like really messages that we're trying to push right now. But one of them is like, let artists, like let's give artists like a living wage, like pursue value, like like help support artists when we're alive. Because like, how, what good is it after the fact? Like, an art is so, I don't think anyone's going to claim that art is not a valuable part of culture. Like, I don't care what your background is. Like, there is, it's a gift that is provided to culture, to unite people, to give people this, like, sense of, like, oneness. Milton Glaser, who's, like, my favorite designer, he just has this great philosophy on how, like, art is basically a unifier. It's like the passing on of gifts. And it unites people because they see something and they have a similar perspective on it. And it like basically prevents in the cutting, cutting it all short, like basically prevents people from like killing one another because they have this thing in common now through this creative thing. And I really kind of butchered that, but you should go look up that quote. (laughs) But yeah, so I think it's just, yeah, we should, we should. Yeah. We'll follow up with it later. But I, I kind of, I tag that on everything. Of course. Um, It's just, yeah. Like, and, and again, And then trying to just put a a price tag on that, like just minimizes it really. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. And I agree in that it's uh, something to like learn and grow and evolve into. But I think now more than ever, this blend of creative artist and entrepreneur is um, there's almost so many resources. It's crippling to know where to start. 
Yeah. And I think there's definitely more of a conversation of community over competition and let's all grow together and support artists while they're alive and celebrate the arts and, and be thankful for that cultural unifier. So I think that's a great place to like tie this little episode up with a nice ribbon. Perfect. Where can everybody find you, follow you, check out your gallery, buy some of your work, all that stuff? Well, if you're local to San Diego or around the area, um, I, my gallery is in little Italy downtown, uh, right on India street, kind of, the main thoroughfare in Little Italy. Would love to see you there in person. Um, If you're not local, um, I have a website where you can check out all of my work and my different galleries. Um, On social, I'm always just Stephanie Bales Fine Art or occasionally just Stephanie Bales. But everything's just nomered by my name. Perfect. So yeah, Instagram, I spend most of my time in terms of socials. Yeah, come follow her on Instagram. Go check her out on TikTok. (laughs) maybe she'll post some more videos Um, and check out our website for sure for sure no it's good thank you so much Stephanie thanks for having me Michelle and um, we'll catch you guys next time see ya Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts or really anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to come on over to the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group, same name as the podcast. And lastly, if you're looking for those resources, links, or anything else we talked about on today's episode, you can find those on my website, mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. Catch you next time.